Welcome to Education Suspended, a podcast focused on exploring, engaging, and dialoguing with those in education who are passionate about changing the status quo and evolving the archaic system we have inherited. Education Suspended is a production of Intricate Roots Educational Consulting Services. Our editor and production manager is Katie Kuneen. Our producer is Jamie Higa, and our music is provided by Poets Row. Hey, everybody. Welcome to Education Suspended. Jessica Pfeiffer here. Sorry that this episode is 24 hours late. Y'all, after 28 months, COVID finally got me. Luckily, it was not that bad, but I was just exhausted, y'all. So I just did not get everything up and running like I should have, and I apologize. So alas, here we are, releasing on a Tuesday instead of a Monday. But I'm really excited about today's episode. This has been a long time coming. We connect with Jack Ludlam. So while I realize I'm biased, I think Jack is a phenomenal photographer. So good, in fact, that he is who we commissioned to do the artwork for this podcast, that beautiful old antique floating desk. I've had the honor of knowing Jack for a couple of years now. And I think there's something really amazing about using photography to tell stories and giving it to the kids as an option to express themselves and what they're experiencing. Jack's story is phenomenal. For him as a student, I'm so glad and honored that he shared his story with us. He just reminds us of how imagery has been a part of learning for millennia and just how important it is for us to bring that back and stop doing all this talking and talking and processing and use imagery, use photography to help these students express what is going on. I hope everyone is doing well. The summer is going really fast, but hopefully you are all finding some time to connect with yourself, with your family, with your friends and just recharge. All right, y'all, sit back and enjoy Education Suspended with my friend, Jack Ludlam. It's morning for you guys, right? It's almost new, uh, afternoon. It's 10 no, here. Well, he's got the most beautiful background we've ever seen yet. I know. I think I'm on. Can you guys hear me okay? Yes, we yeah. can. How's it going? Good. Good. How are you? How are you? I'm doing all right. It's, uh, you know, it's kind of the time of year where you don't make any money and you spend all your money. So I'm trying to, uh, <laughs> trying to fix that day by day, but, uh, but no, it's, it's good. I've been using the time to kind of fix up the studio and, uh, and try and make work. So trying to keep busy. We never know where the plane's going to land, Jack, totally. but, but I know you and I have been talking about you getting on this show for over a year and here we are. I think there's a couple things I'd love to go into today. And some of it's personal for me. I did a lot of photography in high school and in college. I think for me, there's like the academic side of education of how do we use this as an academic tool to help teach? But then I also think that there's clearly that social emotional connection as well. Photography can be such a way to capture feelings and experiences. And so I'd like to jump into both of them. I don't know, Steve, yeah. if there's things that you want us to cover today. Yeah, I'll fit into both of those categories. I'm really interested in Jack's background as a kid. I wrote it down. I said he kind of lived on the border of urban and rural and chose mostly rural the way it looks, at least according to your pictures. I do want to know about that because Jessica, like you, I want to know how kids can really unleash the magic of photography in, in an integrated way. I, I'm really interested in Jack's thoughts on that. Mm -hmm. And then personally too, because what Jessica and I are dealing with in, in this time is a 
thousands of dysregulated educators who desperately need any kind of option. And, and I think photography could be one of those. It is something now that we all have in our hands all the time. Not at your level, but I mean, at some level. So Absolutely, anyway, yeah. those are the kind of things I'm really interested in too today. So I think we're on the same page. Well, let's just start with that. We love to hear from our guests as we get up and going. Say hello to everyone, introduce yourself, what you do, how you got there, and what we just said, like what's the connection to education? And if you feel comfortable, share with us what your educational experience was like, and does that influence you in any way in what you do now? Yeah, my name is Jack Ludlam. Uh, I am 30 years old. I've lived in Denver for, man, it's like 12, 12 or 13 years now, which is pretty crazy. It's the longest I've ever lived in one place. I'm a photographer focusing on mainly analog film photography. I definitely dip into the digital world as well here and there, but I've been focused on shooting film for quite a while since college. Started picking up a camera when I was probably 12, 13. Growing up in Ohio, you know, we uh, did a lot of hunting and fishing and on occasion, instead of bringing a fishing rod or a bow and arrow into the woods, I'd bring my camera with me. And I actually, I shouldn't say it was my camera, it was my mom's that I would take without her permission. But, uh, <laughs> but I, you know, I it, caught it, that, I caught that on your webpage, Jack. <laughs> I was very lucky. My parents were um, pretty lenient with me and they knew how much I cared about spending time outside. Growing up, I never played video games. I was never really interested in that stuff. I didn't really connect with that at all. And that to a certain degree continues to this day. I really, really much more enjoy hands-on tangible work, which has translated into my photography as well, not yeah, only with, with the subject matter, but also with the way in which I choose to share it. I think showing photography physically is becoming more and more rare. You're seeing photography constantly, you know, you see thousands of images a day, but actually perceiving a physical photograph in a frame presented in a way that's very intentional is a really, really special way to experience yeah. artwork. And I'd, I'd love to see more of it. Do you mind talking about school for you? Yeah, school, uh, school was tough for me. I, uh, I was not interested in school. Um, I was, you know, I was acting out a lot. I, I wasn't one of the kids that was going and drinking and doing drugs or anything like that, but I was just, I was just outside. You know, I just wanted to be outside, whether it was mountain biking or fishing or hunting, you know, obviously school didn't really let me do that. Growing up, I probably grew up middle upper class and uh, was lucky enough to go to a private school for high school that was great. Wellington in Ohio, you know, very nice school. I just never connected with any of it. I had trouble paying attention. There were definitely some like mental health blocks there that we weren't aware of. So I really struggled all the way through school. It wasn't till probably sophomore or junior year of high school that I started to realize, oh shit, I'm really disappointing people here. You know, it wasn't necessarily for myself. I noticed my mom and dad were sad and it felt terrible. And uh, so I started trying a bit. And uh, along with that, you know, I found it felt good to do a little bit better in school. You know, it felt good to get your report card back and not have Fs and Ds and all this stuff and, you know, not be on the verge of getting kicked out. So I took art classes in high school. We had your basic art classes, drawing and really basic sculpture, really basic photography. But even at a nice school, even at a well-funded school, there was so much of a lack in terms of what you could study under the art. You pretty much, you picked music or you picked visual art, but within those realms, it was like, I remember my photography class in high school, I think we processed one roll of film in black and white and we did, we did test prints and that was it. 
we never made photograph, which was always really disappointing because I think that's, you know, a part of the satisfaction for me is, is arriving at the end with a physical product. And so that was really frustrating because it never really took hold in me. So even though I liked taking photos, I liked doing it on my own. And at school, there wasn't that structure to kind of give you that final product and, you know, see where your work was going that whole time. So I, I struggled a lot. I, you know, I almost got kicked out of middle school. I almost got kicked out of high school. I almost got kicked out of college for a moment. It was a struggle. But as soon as I found what I was interested in, I was good to go. And I like figured it out. And that's when I started doing well. And that probably wasn't until sophomore year of college when I realized that I want to do photography or some kind of visual art. And I want to work physically. And once I figured that out, you know, I I got excited again and school became a lot easier. How long ago was that when I ran into y'all at Eli's shop? Yeah, last fall, I'd say. I remember you and Eli just sharing, you know, I struggled academically. I struggled. I think you just said it was some mental health stuff, but it was kind of under the radar because you weren't actually getting in a lot of trouble and how that struggle can present itself. Because I do think there's a stigma for a lot of males in education that their behaviors will be more externalized. They're going to be getting maybe more in fights or more of that aggressive aggressive piece. But for you, it was more internalized. And so that kind of went unnoticed. And I think it was also, you know, I felt, and still to this day, you know, I, I still have like a serious case of imposter syndrome, but specifically in high school, I felt very, very inferior to everyone else because I was going to this nice school. I had all these amazing opportunities that most people don't get. And I realized that I was lucky, but I also realized in that process that I was squandering all of these opportunities and it made me feel terrible. And, and everyone outside of me was there for the right reasons. And they, or most people, they liked school, you know, they, they wanted to go to a good college. So I had all these people around me that were accelerating really, really quickly and kind of, at least to some extent, had a grasp on what they wanted to do and who they wanted to be. And I always felt like I was falling behind during those processes because I never found that thing. Like I was, I was a really talented trumpet player all through high school. You know, I could have gotten scholarships for that. I could have gone to school for that, but it just never really clicked with me. And I've just never been able, especially in academia, I've never been able to force myself to learn something that I really don't want to learn. (laughs) Same thing with taxes now. Like, I'm sure I could figure them out if I really wanted to, but I really don't want to. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Crawl out of my head. Tax season is going to be the end of me. You guys had to bring that up. I know. Come on. Okay. (laughs) Back we go. I'm going to ask Jack a teacher question. Jack, I taught middle school for 30 years or more. I mean, enough to go crazy. Anyway, I'm thinking of having you as a student, if I would have. What, what should I have seen? What should I have noticed? Did anyone pick up on who you were as a person to start to discover something that seemingly to me, what you waited too long to discover? My perception, and granted, you know, I want to be fully transparent about this. I am no expert on the education system. I can only tell you my experiences and what I've seen. In in my experiences, I had some amazing teachers in middle school and high school. You know, I was a, I, I was not easy to deal with. And, um, and they didn't give up on me. I just think it was, I went to a very small school. So even though they were well-funded and had these good classes and everything, they didn't necessarily have the ability to cast a wide net to show people all of these different options of things you could do or not even do, but just be interested in and be excited about. Because I didn't know what I wanted. I just knew I was so frustrated. I think I ended up just kind of hitting a wall. But 
those teachers that stuck with me and you know even though I was on the verge of failing out the teachers that showed empathy were always the ones that that I still remember to this day and the, and the, they're the reason yeah. why I didn't you know potentially drop out we ask so much of teachers and you know you guys have felt that throughout your career and you can't ask teachers to do everything obviously that's you know they can't do everything but i think having that open line of communication between yourself and your students to try to figure out what gets people excited to learn about is really really just so massively important just being open to hearing what people want and what they're excited about and why they want it or just helping younger people to learn like hey it's okay to not have any idea what you're excited about that's totally fine yeah. you know just try stuff try things and and see what you like see what you find um your story is what matters to us and i, yeah. I think that's what matters to teachers listening to this yeah we if we teach 100 kids we have 100 stories each story matters so i i appreciate that a lot you you liked photography and i don't know if this is an assumption but i think photography is a trade and i do wonder from the academic lens, we don't have a lot of respect currently. I think we're moving towards that, but helping students get into trades is not is historically something that we haven't really pushed or it's been looked down upon. And so that was coming up for me. Like, I just wonder if there was a stigma when you were in school that we're working on of, oh, well, you, you can't do photography. How about you need to have all these other skill sets so you can have a different major, a different profession? Yeah, there, I mean, there are a lot of different people and processes in place, obviously, that we're trying to push myself and other students into a direction. Even teachers who were not meant to be teachers, I'm sure you've met some, some of them <laughs> over your year. You know, there's some people that are just not meant to be teachers, but you hope that even those teachers that aren't meant to be in that position, you hope they still want the best for the kids, right? Like you, you, you that's all you can really hope. And I think there were certain people fighting for me in the right way and certain people kind of pushing back in another direction. But to talk about those trades specifically, those manifest themselves in my work very, very directly. Growing up in Ohio, like you were saying, you know, I, I lived on the edge of the suburbs and the edge of the country. So I could either go north and be in the middle of nowhere. And I would always go north and I would observe these people, whether it was helping out on a farm helping them fix up a fence or something in order to get hunting rights to their property or something like that. I got to see those people, those tradesmen and women in their natural element working as they yeah. would. And those always inspired me so much more. It would be interesting if your dad was sitting next to you, your mom was sitting next to you, like what, what their story would be and how they would reflect <laughs> on that experience. We could just call them up. <laughs> <laughs> they would have they would have a lot of stories. We could have Tom and Kathy on whenever you want. Um, but yeah, hi Tom, they, hi Kathy. But they struggled. I mean, like my my sister had her troubles growing up. They were so concerned with her that I kind of, in a really beautiful way. This is I'm not complaining at all. But I kind of just got left alone to to do whatever. And that's when I would spend so much time outside. That's you know like that was kind of my like saving grace from all that was just okay. Well, you know the focus is on her at least right now and and that is she got help and that's wonderful um and i kind of just got to explore and it was it was really wonderful in that way you know i kind of got to figure out how i like to spend my time and what i was interested in this theme of you growing up wanting to be outside wanting to be in nature really kind of body-based activities 
that theme has come up a ton and I'm sure it'll continue because we know that that is so important for regulation for us as humans. I'm wondering for you, what's then the connection between, you know, body-based activities in nature and then photography? And do you find, or what's your thought on, I don't want to say healing, but the regulating components of photography? Mm -hmm. I, Um, I think you can say healing. I think healing. you're okay. Yeah, I yeah. think healing. I think there I mean, is we, healing. If we all pause and just think of like think of some of the most famous photos, black and white, color, whatever. I mean, there is so much emotion and story in one single image. And so I'd love to jump into that because I think that's where Steve and I are really interested in about giving this tool for teachers right now from that social emotional component. Absolutely. Growing up and the way I grew up, which was very much kind of in two different worlds of the life I was living, which was privilege. And and there was a very, very large contrast to these people that I was interested in. Now, that Mm. doesn't mean that they lived any lesser. They had wonderful lives and did wonderful things. They were just doing it in a totally different way. And the way they learned was physical learning. Their bodies learned along with their mind learning. And those two components go hand in hand for me personally as a way for me to learn. I need to be physically moving things, changing things in order to really understand that process. Even though I didn't know it, but at the time when I was borrowing my mom's camera, you know, if I wasn't hunting, I was chasing a deer with a camera. And that physical learning, learning how to hunt before I ever photographed, physically learning how to work through the process of photography through analog photography was extremely important to me because I admired the physical processes of those that I looked up to so much. Now that for me manifested itself with wanting to learn film photography as opposed to digital. There are massive obvious benefits in every single way to digital photography. But for my process and with the way I prefer to learn and the way I really do tend to connect with both subject matter and the processes that I'm working on through the camera, I wanted that to be physical. Again, you're, and I love how you said, like you had to have that body-based learning. Like that's just how you pick stuff up. And I think for a lot of our students, this, this, their story would be very similar. I think the regulating piece that I was going for was twofold. I think it's connected to the story that a, that a photo tells. And so I think that can be really powerful for kids. And Steve, you said this, but so many kids just have cameras because they have, they have cell phones. So they have access to these things. And if there's a way that we can lead into that from a social, emotional perspective, I think we should be, we should be doing that. And it can be really helpful. And that's the other thing that was coming up for me of, I was fortunate enough in our high school, we had a, an amazing dark room. And so when I did photography, it was one of my favorite places to be, was getting the film out, developing the film, using, and I don't remember any of the names now, but using the machine and just making print after print until it came out perfect and doing that in college. And that process was so sensory based and really regulating. So maybe I don't know exactly what I mean by photography being regulating, but maybe it's more of that story component. To bring up the accessibility of photography is, it's extremely important because even 15 years ago, there weren't these incredible cameras and phones. These days, most people have these incredible cameras in their pocket that they have access to at all times. And I mean, I, you know, there's professional photographers that only shoot on iPhone. And 
it's pretty incredible what you can do with such a small piece of technology. The fact that I could major in photography, yet there was not an analog class at all, to me is backwards. I think that if we're going to give students, whether they be in college or younger, access to this incredible technology, there should at least be a basis for how you can use that technology if you choose to. Not everyone wants to be a photographer. Not everyone wants to make art. And I totally understand that. But people need to understand that, hey, if you have all this incredible technology, there's ways to utilize this really, really positively. And whether you want to be a photographer or not, there's power in images. And you can create images that are powerful, beautiful, sad, whatever you want them to be, whether you're a photographer or not. And I think opening people's eyes up to that is a really, really beautiful thing. For me, you know, like I, I, I'm pretty sure I'm never going to be making work off my iPhone. I could be wrong, but I'm pretty sure I'm never going to be. But not exploring those avenues and not giving kids access, proper access and proper knowledge about how to potentially utilize that, I think can really detract from their experience and can potentially shut off people from a creative aspect that they might not be able to indulge in otherwise. I got to ask about a, another aspect of photography that I get from you, and that's your ability for your pictures really tell a story. I know not everybody can see your pictures, obviously, on a podcast, but what I see is I'm going on a walk through my parents' barn, or I'm in the garage, or I'm in a old town bar. I think Jessica and I are are getting at, at least I am as a teacher, how can I use the marvelous medium of photography to help kids tell a story? You do it well. You tell a story well. How, how can we get there? Yeah, for me, I got there almost by happenstance, at least stylistically in the way that I'm photographing things to this day. It's just introducing some baseline to say, hey, you're interested in shooting photos. Why don't you take a look at these photographers? Oh, I've noticed you like street photography or you like lifestyle photography. Why don't you talk to me about some brands that really inspire you aesthetically? And that goes all the way back to that conversation thing. And where storyline leads into that for me was directly being inspired by several photographers when I was younger, seeing their work. I saw certain aesthetics and certain subject matter that was really attractive to me and really made sense to me. I used to work up in Whistler, British Columbia every summer. So I'd drive up there and I would spend a couple of weeks in the mountains in Washington before I got there. There's a tiny town in Washington called Roslyn. And for some reason, a bunch of the gas stations, it's a tiny little town, but there were chainsaws everywhere. There were the old chainsaws all over the place. And I, I was really curious. I couldn't figure it out. Something that I've always been interested in from the 50s to modern day is the logging industry, both in its worst ways and it's best, but loggers were always really interesting to me. So I, I finally got the courage. I was a lot younger to ask like, Hey, can I borrow one of these to photograph? And I felt that showing this chainsaw, putting it on a stump in the middle of the woods, like you might imagine photographing, it doesn't really speak to it. That's the way you always see it. That's kind of the way that it's perceived and understood. Yeah. But if you take that and you remove all that superfluous subject matter and you leave it just as is with stark contrast and you don't have the shadows you're just looking at the thing itself that's when you really start to lean into what it is and all those marks on it that made it what it is and the people that might have interacted with it to yeah. build maybe the building you're standing in you know that's where you can start to lead those storylines for my work i like refining those qualities picking what i want 
people to really, really be focused on and removing everything else. And sometimes it leads people to storyline. I think the storyline is massively important. Yeah. Coming at it from that lens, I think, is the, is the key part for educators listening. The goal is to not make a million photographers. No, the goal is to utilize a format, the format of photography to help tell stories, to help that process. There's a teacher in Denver, I think at North High School called T- Timothy Hernandez. And Sounds very familiar. Yeah, he's a big activist educator in, in this area and he does amazing work. But he, uh, at the end of last year, with his high school students, they made this book called Our Sacred Community, I believe. And it's all black and white photography and poems from the Latino, Latina, Latinx lens of North Denver and where it's gone. And so the, that was coming up for me when you were sharing storyline, just a very tangible exercise that this teacher utilized. The use of photos can be really exactly what you're doing is that storyline there's so many stories to tell especially these days so many stories that these kids want to talk about photography can be lent to any part of academia right imagery is part of learning that's you know we've been using that for hundreds of years thousands of years and maybe not photography specifically but drawing runes all these things like they're they all come back to imagery and image recognition and There are, there's the photos we've all seen in history class when we were growing up, raising of the flag, horrible things happening in in, uh, Tenement Square that everyone has seen. So I think it's really about opening up people's perception to what they can get from an image. And if you're showing students, I mean, one of the most helpful exercises I ever had was in college and it was from my art history teacher. And it was just dissecting a photograph. It was just pick one photograph. It doesn't matter what it is. Tell me what it means to you and why. That That is not an art subject. That can be anything. That yeah. could be branding. That could be marketing. That could be, it, it can be anything. So I think there's applications for image learning, image-based learning across all forms of ed- education. And I think one good way to open people up to that which one of my teachers did in college actually was once a week, share an image at the beginning of class that might have some tangible connections to what you're going through in class or what the world's going through or what a specific person might be going through. And having people try and connect to that is really, really important. And it also helps people with empathy. I think that one of the things that is lacking the most specifically in the United States today is just empathy for people, just people Mm -hmm. at a base level. And I think by looking at some imagery, you can really, really start to empathize. And I I, I think that is something that has stood out to me, that has impacted me over time through looking at photography. And I think it could impact a lot of other people as well. But it is a learned skill. You have to learn how to look a little bit deeper and not just scratch that surface level. And a lot of kids don't want to do that, you know? They, they, they want to look at a photo just for its aesthetic appeal. And that and that's okay, too. But I think trying and trying to start that dialogue about not just looking at an image, but talking about an image is hugely important. So I have an image in my head of a boy standing on a border, and he can go north or he can go south. And he usually chooses to go north, which is kind of what I'm hearing when we're talking about today's kids need to go north a little bit more, or we would like them to have that opportunity. How would you want to go about that in school? I want to consider a few things you said, the connection to nature, the connection to producing an image, 
And then the further connection is your empathy. Your pictures scream empathy to me. They scream understanding of the people that you were with and, and saw and talked to, whether it's just an object that hands, a cow skull, whatever I'm looking at. There's those three areas. How, how do we get our kids to go north and take a camera along? Well, first, thank you. I really do appreciate that. That means a lot. When I was in middle school and high school, I felt like I was going somewhere I didn't want to go every day. I felt like I was, if I put work into school, it was just going to get me into college. And then I was just going to be on that route. I was scared of trying because I was like, well, if it works, I'm going to be doing exactly what I don't want to be doing. Yeah. And I think, yeah, it's true. You know, like I, I did not want to go to college. My dad made me go to college. I'm so glad he did. But I think it's about opening up the possibilities to kids. There's comfort in saying, hey, college isn't for everyone. Or, hey, being a CEO isn't for everyone. And kids need to understand that life is scary enough. You don't have to be scared of what you're going to become. You just need to try things. There needs to be this open dialogue, open conversation about what kids want, why they want it, and how to get there. And for my experience, that came fairly late. But I was lucky enough to have the privilege I did to have access to these, you know, these cameras and this, you know, property and this land. So I just got lucky. As far as other kids that don't have what I had, it's a lot harder. But I would say the healthiest thing you can possibly do is open up learning minds to say there is not just one right way and you can make your own way, but you still need to learn, <laughs> you know, you still need base knowledge. You still need social knowledge. You need to learn how to interact with people. Kids need confidence in who they are and they haven't figured out who they are yet because they don't necessarily know what they like. And that's what I struggled with opening up the doors and saying, this would be for me when I was a kid, but saying, hey, I've noticed you've been really struggling in school. What are you interested in? What do you want to do? There was never really that conversation. If anyone ever asked me what I was interested in, they wanted an answer of a career path. They didn't want anything else. They wanted an answer of, well, I guess I, I kind of like numbers so I could be an accountant. They, that's what they wanted to hear. Whereas really you need to hear whatever that kid actually wants or what they think they want. Because I thought I wanted to be a drummer for a while. I thought I wanted to be a professional mountain biker. You go down those avenues that don't work out. But just that openness and willing to empathize with a young kid that's learning and saying, hey, you're interested in photography? I've got a couple photo books at home. I'll bring them in for you tomorrow. Or cool, go talk to the art professor. I'm more than open to talking to any one of your students that, that is even slightly interested in art or photography or anything. Greener, I love how you said the boy who decided to go north, you picked up a camera and you just did it and you told stories and you saw stories. You shared that tangible exercise that your professor did, which I actually really like, just putting up a big photo. Let's just talk it out. There's so many ways that you can go with that. What other things can teachers be doing, not trying to produce photographers, but trying mm -hmm. to use photos and photography as a way to, yes, teach empathy, talk about our feelings, capture stories that we don't know how to put words to, because oftentimes that was my biggest struggle. And I still feel like it's a big struggle. We always want to use words with kids. Why, why, why? And I think photography for me or a photo can be such a powerful alternative. Are there other things that we can be telling teachers? To me, it's implementing it in small ways as opposed to big ways. 
you know, the ways we talked about where, you know, you share your feelings about a photograph in class, you talk through it, you open up the door to those conversations, because they always come back to life in general, feelings about visual stimuli and looking at looking at beautiful or horrific or whatever they may be will always come back to the greater idea of like what you know what is it to feel something you're looking at that you can't necessarily define why does it feel this way why why does it make you feel sad why does it make you feel happy when it comes down to it the ways that you can actually make it happen are just through dialogue in your classroom and just implementing it in small ways throughout the learning process you know whether that be saying hey, you know, in, in history today, we are studying the Great Depression. All right, well, let's pull some images from the Great Depression that are very impactful, that mean something to the teacher or to the kids, where you're creating that storyline. And, and those were always the ways that, that I learned things I didn't want to learn was through story. Absolutely. If I could relate to a story, even if it was as far from my own as it could possibly be, I would learn that thing. What came up for me was how photography leads to curiosity. I think Jessica and I talk about the value and the, the beauty of curiosity all the time. If you have curious kids, your problems are over in school. Curious kids will dig in and be adventurous and creative. And I think if photography can help lead us to curiosity, we got to take advantage of it. The Great Depression thing was perfect because, again, I loved that the academic lens, not just that emotional and social piece that we've been talking about. So, so teachers can use this in the academic context, Yeah, but we know learning, you're going to remember something if you can relationally connect to it. So I love that example. Let's talk about the great depression. Let's pull up images. What's coming up for you. Can we begin to empathize for me? It's not just showing them the picture, but then I might provide an assignment. I want you this weekend or tonight to go take a photo of something that reminds you of that picture or of that experience. That I think would be so cool to do things like that. And that's kind of, again, what that, that book that those high school students did. It's using their ability to, to take an image and tell a story, to, to share their feelings. I love that example that you gave, Jack. I thought it was a beautiful example. And it was, it's very tangible. We can give them access to something that, that most kids have access to. And for me specifically, I know, you know, I'm, I'm one person and I have the way that I learn and other people are very different. But if, if my teacher in high school or middle school gave me that assignment, that would be the homework that I did. And I would ignore the math homework, you know, like, like that's something I'm like, oh, I get to go explore. I get to do something a little bit different. That's something I can get behind. That's something I can, I can do. Opening up that active creativity lane is really, really, really wonderful. Just, just opening the door. That's kind of all you need to do. Just saying, go create this because you can. All right. Today, the homework is a little bit less than normal. Let's do something different. Let's explore a little bit. Let's try to learn in a little bit of a different way. That would be something that would get me excited. Even when I hated school, even when I was struggling so much, that would be the assignment that I would be like, all right, let's do that one. <laughs> yeah. You know, when I'd go home and pick my one assignment that I would actually do and the rest I would just leave alone. <laughs> what should I do today? I forgot yeah. when I was teaching middle school groups, oh, probably like eight or nine years ago. 
most SEL groups start with a check. How's everyone feeling today? And I never did that verbally. I always gave the kid options. So I had a smaller like bongo drum so they could just beat on the drum, the rhythm that aligned with them in that moment. I don't remember what else, but I know the other option was that I had art, laminated art, including some photos. And I would just lay them out on the table and they could come up and just point to the photo or the art piece that also aligned where they're coming to that group. In. And that's also another idea of just find mm-hmm. some really beautiful photos out there, a nature photo, a, a, a photo of a face, some structures, landscapes, animals, and give kids opportunity to utilize that as something besides having to verbally describe where they're at. And even with art specifically, whether it's photography or any other form of art, I think it's really important, especially younger people that are looking at it, to understand that it's okay if you just don't know why you love it or hate it. There is no right or wrong answer. And that's the fun thing with art. Some of my least favorite paintings I've ever seen are some of the most expensive paintings in the world. It's an open dialogue. There is no wrong answer. And I think that's really, really wonderful. I would always be so afraid to raise my hand in class because if I get that wrong, I'm going to feel even more inferior to my classmates that I already feel inferior to. But if I'm talking about artwork, you can't tell me I'm right or wrong. My favorite, if I could steal any piece of artwork, it would be a Cy Twombly chalkboard. I love them. I have no idea why. I I know there's movement in them. I know it's chaos, but I, I can't really describe to you why I love them so much. And that's okay. It's all right just to love something just because you love it. It's okay to not like something just because it just doesn't really, you know, mesh with where you're at. Grainer, that's what you said, the the curiosity and the creativity that a photo can bring into the classroom. That's learning. And we do come from a pretty black and white, what's the answer? And there's only a correct answer and bringing a photo into the class just to dialogue and share about, yeah, you're opening up the abstract, you're opening up the curiosity. And that's exactly what these kids want and need. Let's not forget the teachers who also would be well served by every one of these creative assignments because it's it can be boring being the teacher too. You just got to know how marvelous these kind of assignments sound to someone like me who wants, I want my own fun. Mm-hmm. You know what? I don't think there's anything <laughs> wrong with being a teacher who wants to have fun. That is contagious in a wonderful way. And so here's another avenue where me as a teacher, I'm going to say, I'm going to figure out ways to have fun with a medium that's going to lead to some really good things. One of our first guests last season was a storyteller. I listened to that one. I loved it. Yeah, Michelle. And I really, it really resonated with me because she came at it from that historical perspective through the millennia. We have used verbal story to pass along experiences. And so for me, when you said earlier on this podcast, well, for millennia, we've also used used image to tell yeah. stories and hand down stories. It, it, those two align are like, oh yeah, it's, it's, a, it's another way to pass down who we are as humans and where we come from. And there's so many places that we can go. There's so many places that you can go with that educationally. There really are. And one of the aspects to that that is also challenging is just as opposed to thousands of images we're now dealing with billions a day yeah so it's just this mass influx of looking at a photo taking it as face value either liking it or not liking it whatever move on and i think these potential lessons that we're talking about with looking at photography in your classrooms that's really beneficial because it it just forces you to spend a little time on one yeah calm down let's stop looking at thousands let's stop scrolling through instagram or facebook whatever it may be let's look let's just chill out let's look at one 
and yep. just just think a little bit about it. There's some executive functioning pieces there. Now I'm I'm just jumping in the tangible world. You could give an assignment of I want you to find something in your world that brings you joy. Think about it. if you're a student right now, there's a lot of depression out there. There's a lot of anxiety out there. There's a lot of isolation out there. I want you to find something that brings you joy. There's no judgment in this. I want you to take a picture of that in 10 different ways. And then you could go deeper than that to your point of like, well, then let's exercise some of that. I don't even know what word you just used. We're just saying, okay, well, there's 10. Now we're going to, we're going to whittle it down. Let's do an exercise that you just pick one. Could be a really cool experience. Well, Jack, you are so talented. Clearly we're biased because we like you so much that we match you to our podcast photo. Um, but I do think of like, there was something about your, your photos that really resonated about just that the simplicity of the story. And the empathy you show in these photos yeah. is really amazing. I appreciate you coming on, on this yeah. podcast. I appreciate you sharing this modality as an option for us in education. We're very grateful for, for all that you do, Jack. I, uh, I appreciate you guys having me so much, truly. It really, it really means a lot.